Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this morning we're wrapping up a series that we began the first of the year, and uh, we called it Getting a Grip. And it has to do with getting a handle on some of those key areas of our life. And, and it's centered around and based on this, this one prayer of Moses recorded in Psalm 90, where, where Moses prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us how to make, make our lives count by making every day count. Because that's really at the heart of that prayer. Um, and, and what we've looked at is... is so how does that, what does that look like? What does that look like? How, it has to do with how I handle my decision making. It, it goes down to um, how I handle my finances and, or, or, or how I handle my relationships. It, it's, it's everyday kind of stuff because every day matters. To live a life that counts is to live each day as if it matters, it counts. And not just for this life, but really in light of God's bigger picture, eternity, because we were created to be eternal beings. We are created for more than this life. And so when we understand that, that heart of wisdom comes when I start living each day in the bigger picture of my whole life and living my whole life in that bigger picture of eternity, that, that God has something for you and for me and how we live our lives every day. And that's the point of this whole series. Every day matters. Every day counts. And we talked about things like ending each day with just giving thanks to God for five things from that day, just to develop a heart of gratitude. We talked about the idea of of better decision-making, understanding that everyday decisions add up. They put you on a path. We talked about how how every one of us, we have more than we need. We, We live at capacity, but we really have much, much more than we need. And if we understand that and we start living for eternity, then we take some of that extra that we all have that we've already used up, but we've got it, and carve out some of that in our finances, in our time, in our relationships, and to do it all from the sense of eternity that every day counts. So today, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. And uh, as we've been going through this, we've given you a few challenges. Um, We gave you the 90-day challenge, or yeah, the 40-day challenge first. Read your Bible in the next 40 days. We gave you a little outline. By the way, how many are still up with the 40-day Bible reading plan? Okay? Not bad. If you've fallen behind, that's okay. Just pick back up. Um, But follow it through. Because then you get God's big picture. It's kind of an overview of the Bible. Now, we talked about a 90-day uh, commitment in our finances to over the next 90 days find ways to carve out more of that extra for God's kingdom's sake, to use it in a way that counts for eternity. And so we're wrapping it all up today with something beyond 40 days, something beyond 90 days. We're really going to talk about, okay, so where do we go from here for the rest of my life? How do I live differently? Have you noticed at the end of every year you come to New Year's and everybody says, boy, am I glad for this year to be over? Anybody say that about last year? Yeah? Okay. And then you start the new year and you think, oh man, this is going to be such a better year. And you get to the end of that year and you go, boy, am I glad this year's over. (laughs) And you think, well, next year's going to be better. And then it's the same because life is pretty much the same. And so what it comes down to is how do I live each day as what matters for the rest of my life, not just for the next 40 days, not just the next 90 days, but for the rest of my life. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how do you do that? What makes the difference? Because you never know what life's going to bring you. 
You never know what each day has in store for you. You never know what curves each life is going to throw you. You just don't know. So what keeps you going through the difficult times? What keeps you going through the stressful times, the challenging times? And I think what it really comes down to is one word, conviction. It's conviction. Conviction is, it takes what I say I believe to the point of, okay, do I really believe this? Is, are, my, are, are my beliefs convictions or are they just opinions? Because that's really what it comes down to. And this morning we're going to look at a story. It's back in the Old Testament. Uh, if you want to turn there, it's the book of Daniel. If you don't know where that is, open the Bible in the middle. That's Psalms. Keep turning to the right. Um, you'll get to some of the prophets. You'll get to Ezekiel. You'll get to Daniel. Okay, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. Let me give you a little bit of background. What's happened here? <clears throat> in Israel's history, now, they have been besieged by the nation of Babylon. And under the king Nebuchadnezzar. And they've actually besieged the city of Jerusalem. They've actually now torn down the walls. They've broken through. They've not only destroyed Jerusalem, uh, they destroyed the temple. They've taken the, artifact, the sacred artifacts from the temple. They have brought them back to Babylon and put them in the temple to their god, Marduk, which was one of their gods. <clears throat> and not only that, not only that, but what they did was they took some of the brightest and best, those top-notch people from Israel, and they brought them also to Babylon. And so when we pick up the story, we're going to be in chapter 1, and we're reading in, um, beginning in verse 3. So <clears throat> what's happened is these guys have been carried off, and it says in verse 3 that the king ordered Ashpenaz, that's his name, um, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning well-informed, quick to understand. Okay, these are the guys, like back in high school, if you were a guy, you hated these guys. All right? Now, if you were a girl, you adored it. You just hoped they would ask you out on a date, okay? Because they were, they were good-looking, and they were probably the jocks, you know? They were the, guy, the athletic guys, you know? They were built pretty strong. They, these were the guys who were shaving when they were freshmen, when the rest of us, you know, we still had peach fuzz, okay? That's these guys. And then on top of that, on top of that, they're smart, They're like in all the AP classes. It's like these guys have everything going for them. And so they've been transplanted. They've been carried off to Babylon, and they've been put in a graduate school, basically. And the plan is this. They pick these guys. They're quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the the Babylonians. Now, these guys are probably in their late teens. We don't know their exact date. They're called young men. So that means they're probably 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there. Okay, um, that's who they're. And, and it, what's happened now, because their nation has been overtaken, instead of being killed and, and instead of being put into slavery, they've actually been given an upgrade. <laughs> they've been moved to Babylon. And in Babylon, they've been given the best homes. They're be given, they've been given the best education. They've been given um, all of these things that, that you would hope for. I mean, it was just, it was a huge upgrade. Best education, best food. It says the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's very table, the king's table. And they were trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among these were some from Judah. And their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now these four guys are among these others. And they are now brought into basically the king's palace. And they're being trained. They're being groomed for leadership. 
and everything is going for them. Everything is going for them. But what's slowly happening, because with all of this, there comes a price. And the price is this, that they're being given the best education, they're being given the best homes, the best clothes, all of these things, the best food. And, and all these decisions are pretty much being made for them. And, and there's a cost attached with them. Because slowly, slowly, which is how it happens, by the way, slowly they are being changed. And they begin to realize that everything they believed, everything that they've been taught, their heritage, their culture as Jews, everything about them up until this point was being transformed into something different. Even down to where they put their faith and their trust. So slowly over time, they're no longer becoming Jewish, they're becoming Babylonians. And, and it, do, it doesn't happen with one big thing. It's just a bunch of little things like we've been talking about. And at one point, they begin to realize, you know, if we don't do anything, someday we're going to wake up and we're just going to be Babylonians. Not only will we have lost our culture, will we, we have sacrificed our beliefs and what makes us who we are. And they haven't had a whole lot of choice in this. They've been given new names. All of these things have happened to them. But now they've got a point where they've got to make a decision about all of this. And that's one of the key learnings from this thing. When it comes to your convictions, your convictions are shaped by the decisions that you make. That's where convictions come from. Because when you're, when you're at, the, at those crossroads of deciding, when you're at that point where you've got to make a choice, will I compromise or will I stand? You are making a decision. And the decision that you are really making is, are my beliefs convictions which will not change, which I will not sacrifice? Or are they just opinions which I can change anytime I want? And the choices you make at that moment are going to determine whether these become convictions of yours or they're just opinions. And we are faced with those kind of choices all the time. Might be on the job, might be from high school, it starts. To be a part of the in crowd, you know you're gonna have to sacrifice a little bit of yourself. But to be where you wanna be, you're gonna have to give up something of yourself. It happens on the job, where you're asked to do things that maybe are ethically or morally challenging to your beliefs and your convictions, but you're asked to do these things, and you know to get ahead, to be successful in your business, you're gonna have to compromise. And right there at that moment, you gotta make a decision. Will I stand by my convictions or will I compromise? And when I compromise, they're no longer convictions. And that's what's happening with these guys. Everything has been decided for them. Uh, Their clothes have been changed. Their housing situation has changed. Even their names have been changed. In fact, you read it. It goes like this. It says, um, let me see, verse, where are we? Verse 7. So the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now what's happened with their name changes is this. Um, All of their names have to do with their beliefs and their faith. Daniel means God is my judge. Any name that you find in the Bible that ends with L, E-L, okay, or Israel, that's God. It's L, it's short for Elohim. And the ones that end with ah, like Isaiah, Hananiah, Azariah, 
Those ah, that's Yahweh. That's the name for God. And so their names meant things like God is my judge. Yahweh is gracious. There is no God like our God. Yahweh is my keeper. Okay? Those were their names. And the names that they were given instead were names like Belteshazzar, which had to do with being named after the god Baal. Shadrach, Meshach, had to do with being named after the god Aku, another one of their gods. Abednego, is now my name is, his name is being attached to the god Nego or Nabu. See, everything about them has been changed. And, and, and if they don't do something now, it's, it's just going to get worse. There's a point at which they've got to make a stand. And the only place they can make a stand is when it comes down to the food they're being given. And that's what happens. They make a decision. And here's what happens. It says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. He made a simple decision. His decision was that he was going to stay true to his beliefs. Because eating the food, now you say, well, food, what's the big deal with that? Okay, well, they're Hebrew. And there's certain ways that food needs to be prepared. There's certain foods that are not to be eaten. So some of it had to do with dietary laws and being kosher. We don't even know all the, all the details of it, but that's part of it, I'm sure. And the other part would be that these, these meals were being offered first to the God. And so they were offered to the gods, and then because it was the king's food, you know, and then when they ate it, it was as if this has been my supplier. This God is my supplier. So for them, it not only violates their cultural rules and their, and their dietary laws, it comes down to their beliefs. And they decide, you know, we can't cross that line. You can change where I live. You can change the clothes I wear. You can give me a haircut. You can call me a different name. But I will not go any further than that. Here's where I take my stand. And so they go to Ashpenaz. Daniel goes to Ashpenaz. And he says to him, we don't want to defile ourselves by eating this food. So... Please give us something else to eat. Now, Ashpenaz, he's in charge of all this. And he says, listen, I can't do that. Because you see, your well-being and your health, that's on me. And if something goes wrong, it's going to be my head. In fact, look what it says. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. And what the official said is, if I do that, it's going to be my head. Because I'm expected at the end of these three years to produce winners. And if you eat something different and you suffer because of it, it's me that pays the penalty. So here's what Daniel did. He said, okay, let's do this. Kind of like an infomercial. Let's do a 10-day free trial. (laughs) He says, for the next 10 days, we will not eat that meat, drink that wine. We'll just live on what's left. Vegetables. By the way, there's nothing special about being vegetarian. Meat is good. No. Um, what they're doing here is they're saying, this, is, this meat we can't eat. So all that's left is the vegetables. And God sovereignly, God sovereignly makes them healthy on just vegetables. That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. 
It comes to the end of the 10 days, and sure enough, they are stronger, they are more fit, they are more healthy looking. Because they took a stand, God did something. And that's what it says. It says, now God, verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy towards Daniel. God intervened. There was a now God moment. And not only that, but it says, at the end of the 10 days, they look healthier and better. Verse 15, better nursed than any of the young men who eat, ate the royal food. And then in verse 17, it says, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. They stood true to their convictions, to their godly convictions. And God showed up. God took care of them. God provided for them. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal? It's just food. And even if it's offered to an idol, I mean, we know that's just a rock and it doesn't mean anything. What's the big deal here? It's much easier to go along. It's much easier to just go with the flow. It's not that we know, we know where the food came from. We know, we, we know God is our supplier. So why do, we, why do we have to make a stand? It's not that big a deal. And that's the way that we justify those little decisions along the way. That's the way we talk ourselves into things that we know are contrary to who we are and what we believe. But they took the stand and it says, God, God gave them favor and God provided for their health. Not only that, but their knowledge and their understanding and their wisdom. Now, it would have been a lot easier if they knew that was how it was going to turn out. See, it's a lot easier to stand for your convictions if you know how it's going to end up good for you. That's much easier. But they don't know that. They take the stand. They have no... In fact, it could very well end up in death for them because they're actually questioning the king himself. This food comes from the king's table. Oh, my food's not good enough for you. Okay, well, we'll do something about that. They took a stand. And it says, God showed up. Now, God gave them favor. And God made them stronger and wiser. And my prayer for us is that every one of us have those now God experiences. That we're strong enough to take the stand, even if it seems like a little thing, because we know it goes to the core of who we are and what we believe. And they're not just opinions. These are convictions that we live by. And the reason it's so important is that little thing that they did right there when it came to food set the table, pardon the pun, for something much bigger. Because you fast forward and you go to chapter 3 and here's what it comes down to. This little thing is important because integrity in the little challenges are the things that prepare you for the big ones. It's your integrity that you show in the little challenges of life that prepare you for those critical ones because this thing was just a warm-up. Something else was coming. few years down the line now, here's what's happened. King Nebuchadnezzar now decides to create this huge idol, this huge statue. It's like 90 feet tall. And he set it out in the plain of Dura. In fact, if you pick it up in chapter 3, here's what it says. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide. And he set it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, 
prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Now, what's happened in the meantime is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these guys now have risen because God has so blessed them that they've actually risen to the top tier of leadership in the nation. They've, they've bypassed a whole lot of other people who were on that list, you know. And of course, that doesn't make all the people below them real happy. And so this thing comes up now where everybody, all the, all the officials, all the leadership of the nation, they're to gather together in front of this statue. And when the music plays, here it says, they, the herald proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, this is completely contrary. This, is, this violates the first two commandments of God. You shall not, I'm, the Lord your God is one God, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second was, you shall, you shall have no graven image that you will worship. So this is like, this is big time stuff. This isn't just food on the table, okay? This is like big time stuff. And to make it even worse, the penalty for disobeying is death. Whoever, verse six, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And these guys are faced with an even bigger decision now. Because the food thing, that didn't draw a lot of attention. But when everybody's gathered together and the music plays, And everybody falls to their feet, falls to their knees, falls face down on the ground. It's going to be pretty obvious who's left standing. And the music plays. And people fall to the ground. And they're left standing up. And all these guys, all these chief officials, all these guys that they had leapfrogged over who were in line for promotion, but they got, you know, above them. Of course, office politics being what it is, they're not happy. They're just looking. Here's a chance to get these guys. And they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they report what has happened. That you told everybody to do this. And and everybody did except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three, these three of your chief officials, the top tier of your leadership, the people that you need to set an example, they didn't bow. They refused to do so. And the king is furious. He's first, he calls him in before him. He says, okay, I'm going to give you one last chance. Here's what it is. He says, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now that falls into the category of a rhetorical question. Okay? He's not wanting an answer to this question. This is a rhetorical question. It's a question that's asked that you don't answer. Like when your parents said to you, do you want me to give you a spanking? You don't answer that question. Okay? When they say, do you know there are people in India who would love to have this food? They're not asking you a question. If you say something like, well, box it up and send it to them, that's not going to be a good answer. Okay? So... This is a rhetorical question. He's not looking for an answer. He's trying to tell them, you are in big trouble if you you don't follow through with this. And listen to their... He doesn't look for an answer, but they give it to him. Here's their answer. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
then the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. What God is going to be able to rescue you from my hand? The God we serve. The God we serve is able. Our God is able. Now, I want you to hear that. In fact, I want, I'd like you to say that out loud with me. Our God is able. Our God is able. Our God is able. When we are faced with those moral and ethical decisions that what we choose is going to determine who we become and we choose to make the right choice even though it's the hard choice, our God is able. Our God is able to deliver people who are caught in a deadly and and self-destructive addiction. Our God is able to restore families that are broken, to mend hearts that have been wounded. Our God is able. Our God is able. And that's the convictions of their heart. No matter what. Our God's, in fact, they don't stop there. They go in verse 18. He says, and, but even if he does not, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, We will not serve your gods. Our God is able. Our God can deliver us. Our God can protect us. Our God can get us out of this mess. Our God can do anything. But even if he does not. And that's conviction. Even if he does not, we will not serve your gods. And it says then that the king relented and he declared religious freedom throughout the land. No. (laughs) No, he didn't. And here's the third point of this whole thing. That if you are true, as you are true to your godly convictions, when you stay true to those convictions, then we are promised that God is with us despite the conditions because it may not get better standing by your convictions is no guarantee that it's all going to work out for you standing by your convictions doesn't guarantee that the conditions are going to change and life's going to get easier there's no promise like that ever made in scripture in fact it very well might get worse and it does for these guys verse 18 Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Well, we'll just see how hot we can make it for you. We'll just see what kind of pressure we can put on you. We'll get you. We'll get you. They refuse. On this we will not bend. Our God is able, and even if he does not, we will not bend. And so they are bound up, tied up, brought to the furnace. In fact, the furnace is so hot, we are told, that the guys who were throwing them into the furnace actually died from the heat. And they're thrown into this furnace, this huge, blazing, crucible And there they are. They haven't been rescued from it. 
They didn't get out of the furnace thing. They're in the furnace. And here's the deal. Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace, and this is what he says. He says, now, weren't there three men? Weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? Look, I see four men. Wait, we threw in three men. They're multiplying. What's going on? We threw in three men. There's four guys in there. And look, the fourth man walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Who do you think that fourth man is? I think it's Jesus. Because here's the deal. Standing by your convictions might not get you out of the furnace. But the promise that we have is even in the furnace, God is with us. See, that's the whole thing. No matter how hot it gets, no matter how tough it might be, when you stand for your godly convictions, when these are more than just beliefs in, they are full faith and trust on the God we serve. When that weight has been transferred off of what I think I believe to fully on this is where I stand. God is faithful. Doesn't promise to change the conditions. But he does promise that he will be there in the middle of the conditions. Because you see, our God knows something about furnaces. Our God knows something about those tough choices. And in fact, we're told that on the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed, he went off by himself and prayed a prayer that just said, Father, if there is any way possible, if there is any other alternative, if there is any way in which this that I'm about to go through could be taken from me, that this could be a cup that I don't have to drink of, if there is any way, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That nevertheless conviction of faith, that if he does not, even if he does not, conviction of faith. Jesus went through. And because he did, for you and for me, we have now not just forgiveness of our sin and the promise of heaven, we have a new life. We have a power-infused life that the Spirit of Christ Himself indwells us. And those convictions, those beliefs that become convictions, that become our God is able convictions, that become, even if He does not, convictions, those now God moments come when we start in the little things. And they prepare us for the bigger things. Because no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, our God is able. And He is with us in the middle of the furnace. Sometimes that's where God shows up. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.